No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey and the Rock with Give the People the Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show which will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia. I'm joined by my co-host, Marilia Duffels, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. Unfortunately, Marilia can't be with us tonight. She had a prior, she had something come up, and uh, so it's just me, but I'm excited because I have Senator Bob Carey uh, with us tonight, and I'm just so excited. And and for, for those of you who may not know, uh, Senator Carey has done it all. He was the governor of Nebraska. He was a United States senator, a Navy SEAL. He is a Congressional Medal of Honor recipient, and we're so excited to have him on the show. Welcome, Senator. Uh, thanks for being with us. My pleasure, uh, Michael. Nice to, nice to hear your voice. Well, you know, let me first start out by doing what I was trained to do. Uh, I'm from a military family. Uh, my brother was an F-111 pilot, and my dad was a combat veteran. And so let me start by thanking you for your service, sir, because we all understand no. that the uh, liberties that, that uh, we enjoy uh, were paid for by uh, brave men and women like you. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks. And let's start by, by uh, I want to start at the beginning. You were a pharmacy student. You were an entrepreneur that started, uh, uh, helped develop a chain of restaurants and health clubs. You had a 1,000 employees at one time. What led you from there to politics? Oh, uh you know, it's it, it just you know you probably know this, but when you go in business, I got back, I got out of service officially in '69. I came back to Nebraska, and started a business with my brother-in-law in '72, and you just you're constantly when you're in business um, having to get permits, city, county, state, and so I had a pretty direct relationship with um, people in politics, and uh, among the things that I saw from time to time is. Uh, you know, they were, they just understandably get afraid when uh, uh, faced with a choice that they didn't want to have to make. And then uh, there weren't that many Democratic businessmen in Nebraska, and the governor's race opened up in, in, in 1982, and uh, the leading candidates for the Democratic nomination came by and talked to me. I presume they wanted my financial support. I wasn't active. Nobody really knew who I was. I, I had been a Republican until 78. Uh, anyway, uh, they all decided not to run. So I was skiing with my brother-in-law, my business partner, uh, and out in Jackson, Wyoming, and uh, told him on the ski slopes, I said, I'm going to go back to Nebraska and file for governor. 
Yeah, I think it it really began with me with a I, I I thought I would enjoy it, and I thought I'd be good at it. And I thought, and still do, that public service is, uh, you know, it's it's extremely important and very satisfying. Some of my best friends uh, I met in campaigns or working in the government, uh, one way, shape, or form. So it's it's been a very very rewarding uh, experience. I've not been disappointed at all on that decision to run for governor in 1982. Well, that's good to hear because uh, you certainly were successful at it, and I'm glad to know you've enjoyed it. And 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 I certainly have always felt that. You know, some of the best people. The first thing that somebody told me at the DNC when I started working at the DNC was, uh, "Don't forget that the cream always rises to the top, but so does the scum." And I found out that over the years, <laughs> some of the absolute best people that I've ever met in my life are in politics, but unfortunately yeah. some some of the worst people are there too. Uh, on that note, let me ask you, as a governor, you're a member of the Democratic Governors Association. I worked with the D DGA when I was at the, at the DNC. Uh, I think uh, uh, Governor Brown was, was, was the head of the DGA in those days. And I've really been dismayed as a Democrat recently over the fact that the DGA has put money into uh, um, campaigns of campaign deniers, Trumpers, who they they put money into their primary campaigns, uh, helping them win because they thought they would be easier to beat in a general election. Yep. Do you yeah. find that as cynical as I find it? I find it really cynical. Uh, yes, I do. I mean, I, I, I understand what they're doing, and on a practical basis, I understand why they're doing it. But it, there's no question that it increases uh, people's cynicism about politics, which is unfortunate. Uh, uh, and it's hard to get it back. I mean, in, in, in today's era of uh, you know, the way we communicate with one another, we have one little story like that. I've been following the, the terrible uh, stories that have been coming out about uh, Paul Pelosi. Uh, oh, my There's a non-existent newspaper called the Santa Monica Observer, and they put out this horrible story about, and none of it was true. They don't care if it's true, but right. uh, Elon Musk posted. Right. Um, he later pulled it down, um, but that's the problem today is that um, these these stories go they go um, you know they go viral in a hurry and I'm I'm raising it because you're not the first person uh, that that uh, asked me about that that would you know don't you think that's terrible I, my answer is yes I do I again I I understand why it's done um, but it's it it just undercuts the the primary thing that particularly Democrats are trying to say that it's government up by and for the people and the people get to decide we don't need to. Uh, we just don't need to do this, and uh, so it's 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 uh, hopefully by the time the election comes around a week from Tuesday that that kind of thing has been forgotten because there's uh, there's there's no there's there's no equivalence here. What the Republicans are doing is far far worse, and denying the uh, the fact uh, for the first time we've never had a president lose an election and then campaign across the country uh, that the election was stolen. Because what that does 
is it causes a lot of good Americans to say, if their candidate loses, it, they, it was fraudulent that their election was stolen. And I'm, among the most vivid memories I have in politics, I, the night of the 1982 gubernatorial election, I was running against an incumbent, Governor Thone, and he called me and conceded the election. It was a big, I think it was a 1% margin of that. And I know that was a hard call for him to make. It was a difficult call for him to make. It was a brave call for him to make. And that's what we expect our elected representatives to do. So we're, I don't know what the numbers are, but, you know, a large fraction of Americans uh, believe the lie that former President uh, Trump has been telling him. And it really does um, concern me, and I think lots of other people as well, that uh, it could become a pattern. We saw it in, you know, in Arizona, the gubernatorial candidate out there, yes, I will yeah. absolutely uh, uh, say the election wasn't fraudulent so long as I win. Right. Um, you know, it, we, we we can't let that virus spread, um, and it's because it's it's unquestionably dangerous to democracy. You're absolutely right, and I've had to make that call. And you're absolutely right; it, it, it's a really hard call to make, but you have to yeah. do it right. Those those are the rules of the game, and 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 uh, yeah, this is really horrible. And now, did you ever you did you ever fear for your safety or your family's safety? When you were in the Senate, I mean, did you ever, I mean, this is a new thing, isn't it? I've never feared for my safety. I have tags on my car that say U.S. Senator, and my colleague has, has, has considered taking him off because he's afraid. And, and I, you know, this is a brand new thing. Um, and, and you're right, it, it, it's horrible. It's all generated out of this misinformation. What do you think about Elon Musk? Taking over Twitter, do you have any any uh, uh, feelings about that? Do you think that's a uh, obviously? It seems that he's going to let uh, Donald Trump back on, and and you know that's the speculation anyway. And uh, what do you think about that? You you think that's well? Do you th- uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you know it's a. I was actually there when we passed the Communication Decency Act and created this loophole for these these companies, so they're they're not they're not held to the same standards that uh, you know licensed radio, television, newspapers are. And I think that we got to close that loophole because it's you know I'm nothing against Elon Musk. He, you know he's been very successful with you know creating you know one of the great automobile companies, and uh, I love what he's doing in the space. And uh, you know I don't quite understand why he wants to, but, but I don't have to understand. What concerns me about uh, this is, and again, I, it, I, I, I can make it, I can make a business case for it, but the first thing we read about after this, after the transaction closed is how many people he's going to fire. Right. And I, you know, it's, it, you know, I didn't, I didn't ever actually watch The Apprentice, but I, I've seen the closing statement that, uh, Donald Trump at the time, not president, uh, would make it the close of these, these things. He'd say, you're fired. It's, it, it, it's not funny it's, to hear those two words. Um, and it's, it's, you know, maybe, maybe it makes a company better. I don't know. But it's, uh, we shouldn't be happy that a bunch of people that are, are you know, the next couple of weeks are going to get fired because he wants to change the nature of, the, of, of Twitter. Again, he owns it. And he gets to make those decisions. But I don't think we should celebrate it. Indeed, it's one of the 
you know, it's a, coming up to the midterms, one thing that, that the Democrats have really, I think, regathered themselves and making certain that we put the laws on the side of people who get up every morning and go to work. Uh, but, you know, that they're, they're gonna be, they ought to be able to not be, they shouldn't be afraid they're not going to have health insurance. You ask if I was afraid uh, when I was governor. I get called upon a fair amount of time, particularly when I was governor, to go visit uh, in households where somebody has suffered uh, an amputation of a limb because I did in Vietnam. So they said, would you come and visit us? Uh, my daughter and my son either cancer or a farm accident, typically. And, you know, but, but I would genuinely feel fear that in those moments when I knew they didn't have health insurance, when I knew they they were going to have to rely on, on charity uh, to pay the bills. And I, I, the reason I'm saying it quite that strongly is under law, I, I had a claim on their income, still do. I have a claim on your income to pay for my prosthetics. Right. Uh, so what what the fear that I sometimes feel is for the future of the country when you get this great inequality of capacity of people to buy health insurance, buy uh, child care in order to be able to give the kids a good education, be able to afford to go to college. These, these things are slipping away. Um, yeah. And the, you know, the general promise of trade and technology and immigration is going to be good for the middle class uh, hasn't proved, hasn't proven up. Um, yeah. And, you know, so it's, it's, I, I'm, I really am worried about in the United States when you right if we arrive at a point where a large fraction of our people say it's not worth keeping your nose clean, not worth doing the right thing. Uh, it's why I think what, what President Trump is doing by denying the outcome of the election is so bad. It's not against the law, uh, but it's against normative behavior. Um, and so I, I, I was never afraid anybody was going to do anything violent to me while I was governor. Um, you know, uh, but I was, was then and still am uh, concerned about the future of the country when you have so many people who are working, doing the right thing, going to church on Sunday, saving their money, taking care of their parents, and they're still not making it. Have we lost touch, uh, Governor, I mean, Senator, have we lost touch with uh, the American people? I often say that I was born a Democrat because I was an orphan who had my first full-time job at 14 and got my first decent paycheck when I lied about my age at 17 and became a teamster. And, and so when I got old enough to vote, uh, I, I, I felt that I already was a Democrat. They were the party of the working class. They were the party of, of the middle class. And have we lost touch? One thing that, that, that really, um, bothers me is I don't understand how a man who never worked a day in his life and really, and, and, and inherited great wealth and became a billionaire convinced working class people that he could feel their pain. I don't know how he did that. Did he do that because he's a Svengali or did he do it because the Democrats have lost touch? Well, uh, it's a very good question. I, I don't think the Democrats have lost touch. It's easy, you know, it's like in public life. You can from time to time uh, lose touch. I mean, I mean, to kind of turn the conversation slightly, uh, there's an awful lot of working people at the, the, when I was in the Senate or the governor, either one, that would, that, you know, they could be teamsters, they'd be liberal Democrats, and they'd say, you know, I'm paying a lot of taxes. What am I getting for? Uh, right. Or, like me, they've, 
you know, they're trying to start a small business and they find themselves having difficulty getting permits to do that. So I think we have to be careful not to draw a line and say uh, that working people don't care about taxes and they don't care about regulation because they do. Um, you know, you ask at the, the outset, how's a boy in Nebraska do in, in New York City? Uh, I was the, the long, the r- remarkable uh, man from coming to Woody Williams, who unfortunately died last year. But Woody, uh, South South Carolina Marine, was in at Iwo Jima, and we were the I don't know what they called the guest of honors or something for the for the Veterans Day parade, um, the, the November before uh, COVID, uh, and it was it was so moving. Uh, it was probably four miles of solid you know, people waving flags. I mean, New Yorkers are patriotic. Uh, yeah, they you know, are. Liberal, liberal uh, teamsters are patriotic. Uh, they yes. don't want, they, yes, they, they, they don't, they don't mind hearing stories about where we've made mistakes in the past. And we've made a lot of them beginning with slavery. Uh, but they don't want to be told it's a terrible country because they don't believe it. Uh, so among the things that we you know, any public servant, regardless of whether what they're doing is uh, trying to, when you say stay in touch, uh, most Americans are patriotic. Most Americans care about their family. Most Americans have some kind of church or religious institution they hang out with, Not maybe not as often as they should. Uh, um, I mean, there's a sort of a common bond with being an American that 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 precedes your political party. And it, it, that statement's become cliche, but it's true. Uh, and you can't, for anybody in public service, you got to be careful not to let it become cliche. Well, I agree with that. And I got to tell you that I was also troubled by the fact that the first guy I ever worked for was Jimmy Carter. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a religious guy. I was, I used to be a Sunday school teacher. And it always bothered me uh, when I when I during this time was the rise of Jerry Falwell and some of the kind of political evangelists uh, and and I I don't know how the Democratic Party lost possession of God you know it seemed that all of a sudden if you were a Republican you were a religious person but if you were a Democrat you weren't and I I don't know how that happened uh, and and. Do you think we've lost that? Do you think we were seen no. as kind of cynical? No. no, no. Well, that's good. No, I don't. I, I don't. I mean, it. It. Uh, no. I, I, yeah, we're, we're, we're. We certainly, uh, I, I think, need to stay tolerant and open-minded of all religious beliefs uh, or non-religious beliefs. It. it you know, it's, it's. It's again, this is cliche, but if you're you're in combat with somebody. You don't start off a battle, uh, you know, making certain that they believe in God or that they are Democrats or, you know, you're, you're, you're just in the, in the fight together. So I, I, it's just, and I think you, I, it's, it's, it's hard to do it today. Uh, in some ways it's harder because social media just is constantly, uh, riling you up with things that are being said. I mean, it, it feels like my dopamine is maxed out 24 hours a day. Um, so it's, it's, it is unquestionably more difficult, uh, but it's not impossible. So, no, I do not think uh, Democrats have lost the faith. And I think they understand that, you know, there are intangibles, um, you know, including belief in God, that 
you know, carry people through. Well, and I'd just like to point out to, to you know, uh, given what you just said, that remind people that uh, my former boss, Jimmy Carter, is 97 years old, and he's still teaching Sunday school. So we know that there are Democrats well, he was, out there. He, yeah, he he did a number of things that come to mind. I mean, I, I was, when he was elected, um, you know, I was, uh, you know, I was still a Republican. Um but man, and he got beat up badly by beat up all badly. kinds of things. But the long, the longer uh, uh, I live, and the more I pay attention to what he accomplished, I think, my goodness, this guy—he got—he was a remarkable president, and remarkable. Nobody's a better former president than him. But I mean, hands down, he's the best former president we've ever had. Yeah, he certainly is. And you know, it's funny. I'll, t- I'll t- tell you a funny anecdote. I went to a. Uh, uh, I went to a reunion uh, maybe 10 years after he left office, and he said, he stood up and he said, I'm proud of the fact that every major newspaper in America has endorsed me. He said, unfortunately, that didn't happen until 1985. So, uh, <laughs> you know, he really is right. He's known as a great, great former president. Um, yeah. Let me ask you, uh, you were president for 10 years of the New School. Now, if our listeners don't yes. know, the New School is this progressive university in New York City that's based on kind of democratic values. Uh, given the state of America today and young people, do we need more education like this? And should we really be doing this in secondary schools? Should should high schools focus more on on uh, social uh, teaching, social justice, for example, and and when where's the line between uh, making people aware and indoctrinating people? Oh, uh, well, that's a, the second part's an easy one. Um, if if uh, if a young person goes to school and learns something that causes them to come home and disagree with me, they've been indoctrinated. If they come home and agree with me, they've been taught correctly. <laughs> it could be quite yeah, unpleasant. Exactly. Uh, you know, if they turn if they turn right or left, it doesn't really matter. Look, I I think we have to be careful not to not to say that this is the responsibilities of the school. I, this is one where we as adults got to take this on. Yeah. This is where we and it's so easy today to do it. Uh, citizenship is a is a remarkable thing to 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 acquire, and maybe the best thing that uh, that we uh, Americans who were given our citizenship. I mean, my mom did all the work to make me a citizen. It delivered me. Um, that, that was it. I'm, you know, I'm born. I'm a citizen. Uh, every year at the new school, uh, we held a naturalization ceremony, um, uh, and it is it, really quite moving. I mean that. The naturalized citizens is, is, I would say, pound for pound, more patriotic than the non-naturalized. Yeah. Because they know, uh, they know what they've gotten. It's the old adage, you know, if you have to work for something, you tend to value it more than if it's given to you. Uh, and go listen to those people after they've been made citizens. They're waving flags of every nation on earth. Ask them about this country. Ask them not only do, what do they like about it, and they'll give you a very moving answer. But they've had to study. You know, they didn't learn this in high school. 
They learned it because they had to learn it in order to become a citizen. So I would say it begins with us constantly making the effort to understand our democracy. And this can be hard, too, Michael, because you'll, again, you'll, you'll discover things and think, oh, my God, that, that was a terrible thing we did. Uh, I'm just finished reading a, 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 you know, a book called Embers of War, which is about how we ended up uh, in Vietnam with the Vietnam War. And you, you look at some of these decisions and say, oh, my God, it's terrible we did this. It's terrible we did that. Well, that's one of the great things about our countries. We, we can examine our past. We can be critical of our past. And we can, you know, we can try to still make it the country of our dreams. I don't know if you, if you see, saw that Ken Burns series on the, on the Vietnam War. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, story, perhaps the best, you know, visual storyteller in the country today. Uh, but anyway, that he interviewed a guy from North Vietnam who had fought for the Viet Minh, uh, the North Vietnamese, and he said something really important for Americans to remember. He said, you know, I watched the demonstrations against the war that were going on in the United States, and at the time, I thought that that was a sign of weakness. Now, he said, I realize that's a sign of strength. And it is a sign of strength that we can protest our policies, that we can disagree, that we can argue. Uh, it's not a sign of weakness that we're having ferocious arguments. It's not a sign of weakness that our disagreements can be expressed publicly without fear of the police coming and haul us away because we're saying something that's at odds with whoever is the leader at the time. So part of the citizenship effort, in my, in my view, the most important part uh, is adults. Uh, making the effort, sometimes for the first time, to understand our history, to understand who we are, to understand what's the difference between a democracy and a Republican form of government. Um, I mean, one of the, maybe the most important thing in my view about democracy is that this is hard, but the most powerful force in democracy is uninformed public opinion. Uh, and it sometimes it's just, uh, you know, the citizen, we become a mob and we, we do bad things. So I think the burden for helping young people become citizens should, should fall outside of the schools and inside the homes or wherever adults live where they're making an effort. Um, I'm blabbering on too long. You, you, we, no, no, you and I absolutely. Both used the word, we, you and I both used the word cynicism a couple of times earlier. Um, and I didn't stop, and I will now, that Cynicism is, 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 is a disease. It's a disease that's born of a belief that human beings are incapable of doing good. Uh, skepticism uh, is really important. It's not, a, it's not a disease at all. It's a healthy attitude that you've got to prove your proposition to me. You think the election was stolen? Show me. Uh, you think that the sun gets up in the West? Show me. You present the facts. I've got to be able to evaluate those claims. But cynic, cynics, have lost their belief that human beings are capable of doing good. And unfortunately, far too often, older people tend to inject that virus into younger people and, and cause them to believe that it's not worth getting a, why would I want to make an effort to learn about democracy? It's all rigged anyway. It isn't rigged. It's difficult. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, sometimes you're the windshield, and sometimes you're the bug. Oh. But, uh, you know, we, we, we have the opportunity to make a more perfect union, and you either you either believe that or you don't. Well, I think that's so important. Uh, I was raised in New Jersey as a young 
boy, and I know you were raised in Nebraska, and I assume that you and I did the same thing uh, every day when we went to school and we stood up and said the Pledge of Allegiance. Should we bring that back into schools, do you think? Should, should kids be saying the Pledge of Allegiance? I don't. I, I, I don't. It, I didn't become a patriotic person as a result of saying the Pledge of Allegiance. Um, I think you have to, I don't think that's what, what gets the job done. I think, again, it's, it's adults. We've got, to, we've got to grasp this idea that we have freedom and we have freedom to decide how we're going to make our country or how we're going to make it better. Um, and again, it, it, it can be difficult. Let me just take one. You know, in order to be able to say, I live in a country where everybody has health insurance, everybody can afford to go to school, everybody can take care of their, afford to take care of their parents, um, you know, people like me who make, you know, more money are going to have to probably pay higher taxes in order to get that done. It's going to, it's going to necessitate redistributing income from one group of people to another. That provokes a ferocious argument. Um, it might even provoke an argument with me in those instances where, uh, the money isn't being well used by, by the government in the, yeah. in the first place. So I'm just saying these these ideas that we have about how to make our country better, um, they're they're not they're not as easy as saying the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm not persuaded that that Pledge of Allegiance, is, you know, is is either good or bad. I'm, I say to my my kids going to a school where they have to do the Pledge of Allegiance, I think that's terrible. I say no, I don't think it's terrible. He said to me, they're going to school where they don't do the Pledge of Allegiance. Do you think that's terrible? I say, no, I don't think that's terrible at all. It's, uh, it's a decision that gets made at the local level. And uh, if I was down there at the local level arguing at a school board, I'd probably argue against it. But I tried to do it sufficiently respectful to the people who are proposing it that they believe that it would prove uh, the number of people who are patriotic. I'm, I bet to one, even more controversial, I'm, if you'd have asked me a year ago, how do I feel about Mandatory uh, military service. Uh, I'd have been negative. I'm not negative any longer. Um, I don't. I, I and I, you know, whether it's six months or one year. Um, I mean, that, that military experience makes you understand that you're living in something that's bigger than just your own life. Um, it's expensive. It's it's not not easy to do. I understand, but my goodness. Um, and I would, I'm, I, I, it should not be run by not-for-profits. It should be the military. They know how to organize things like this, set a goal. I mean, there was a guy by the name of Krulak who was the chief of uh, the Commandant of the Marine Corps in the 1990s, and he believed and he demonstrated that he could organize a program for the Marine Corps that when they, when they were done with the Marine Corps, they were, their characters improved. They had better character. Obviously, going to be patriotic as well. So I... Uh, I, I could get a lot more excited about that than I could about mandating people uh, put, uh, do a Pledge of Allegiance every day. Well, i got to tell you, I told you before the show, I come from a military family, and I'm proud to say that I've gotten several awards from veterans organizations for my work with military families. And uh, I couldn't agree with you more. It, when, you meet, when you meet veterans... Uh, they really are an amazing group of people. They're, uh, you know, they're just um, beyond being patriotic. Uh, uh, they're motivated and focused, and and they, they really they really are amazing. So I, I don't disagree with you. Maybe we should have uh, mandatory military service. 
Uh, let me ask you, let, let's talk about the National Resources Defense Council for, for a minute. Do, do This is a group I'm familiar with as well. Uh, are we doing enough to combat climate change? Is there more that Congress can do? It seems to me, I took an environmental science course when I was in college a, a hundred years ago, and everything that they said about global warming in the 1970s when I was in college seems to be coming true to me today. Uh, more storms, more violent storms, more frequency. It seems that we're moving in exactly the same direction that uh, in, in the direction that environmentalists said we would move in. Are, is Congress doing enough, you think, uh, to, to combat uh, global warming and, and global climate change? Climate change? Uh, well, I think the answer is no, but this Congress and this president have done more than uh, any other administration or Congress previously. I mean, the, the Inflation Reduction Act may be poorly named, but uh, it will be remembered as well as some of the direct spending that's done by the particularly the Department of, of Energy, authorized and appropriated by the Congress and signed by the president in law. Um, this will be seen as a turning point. And I hope that uh, we can Tuesday that American people recognize that and keep uh, those who support this. And at the moment, it's only, it's only uh, Democrats. It's unfortunate because yeah. there was a time back in the 90s, uh, an issue like this, you'd get, you know, you'd get John Chafee, you'd get Warren Rudman, you'd get Alan Simpson, you'd get uh, Jack Danforth, you'd get Republicans, all that I just mentioned. We'd say, this is a problem, we've got to do something about it. I mean, the Environmental Protection Agency was created, signed into law by Richard Nixon, as the Endangered Species Act, right. the Clean Water Act. Um, so are they doing enough? I would say no, but are they doing more than if it's ever been done in the past? Do we need to reward them for doing so? Do we need to believe that it's important? Uh, I, I'm emphatically in that corner, and I think... I, I hope the Democrats hold the majority in the House and the Senate, but among the things that will be remembered uh, if they don't is that we miss the opportunity again. I, I do think climate's on the ballot. I think minimum wage is on the ballot. I think uh, health insurance for working families is on the number of things that are on the ballot. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's inflation is a problem, borders a problem, immigration is a concern of mine. But the thing that I said earlier that, that really worries me is uh, statutes that are creating inequality. And the, le the legislation that they passed, passed, I think it will also demonstrate that it's a false choice to say I have to choose between jobs and, 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 and the environment. It, it's, it's, it's a false choice. Uh, the promotion of green energy in the, that has just been put into effect by a Democratic Congress and a Democratic president make that case loud and clear. I hope, to repeat myself, that it's sufficiently persuasive that they hold the majority. Yeah, I, I hope so, too. Uh, look slim in the House and, and better in the Senate, but yes, I, I, I hope so, too. And, and back to what you said uh, prior, uh, I'm a patriot because I was, uh, as I mentioned to you, 
an orphan who was a high school dropout who now has a master's degree, you know, got a master's degree, started my own company and, you know, got elected to public office. And I think to myself, this is the only country in the world that that would have happened. Uh, so, so, um, yeah, I, I hope you're absolutely right. Let me ask you though, is if we're headed towards a rematch between Biden and Trump, what can we do as Democrats to secure our future? Uh, I, I mean, the re-election of Donald Trump would just be horrible, in my opinion. Well, I think all we have to do is to talk to people who uh, aren't persuaded of that conclusion. Um, you're not going to persuade all of them. But I think if you calmly and rationally make it a case for Biden and what he's gotten done, at a, at a minimum, you've got a decent human being um, that treats people with respect. Um, yeah. and, but at a maximum, there's a lot that's been accomplished. Uh, some disappointments, some things that he hasn't been able to get done, some things he, that he wanted to get done that I didn't necessarily support. But the, the, the improvement in our country, 10 million jobs, for goodness sake, in the last two years. Uh, I think there's plenty there. But I think you have to calmly and respectfully talk to people as if they're your twin brother and they just happen to reach a different conclusion than you have. You can't start off saying you're stupid and you're a moron and you're deplorable and you don't understand what the hell's going on. Right. I've got all the truth and you just, uh, you know, nobody's, you know, you're not going to persuade anybody with that kind of language. So have we made a big mistake here, which I think, I, I think we have in putting all our eggs into the, uh, abortion basket to, 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 to what happened with the Supreme Court decision. When we look at polls nationally, we see that abortion is not at the top of the list for either Democrats or Republicans. Should we have been talking more about the economy and more about the accomplishments and more than we are talking about a woman's right to choose, even though many of us, men and women, believe that this is a really important issue uh, that speaks to well, uh, the domination of women more than it speaks to the right to life. Oh, there's no question that what you just said is 100% right. I mean, it's a, it's, it, you know, this, this is going back. You take away a fundamental freedom from 50% of the population. By, by the way, while Mexico is going in the opposite direction, um, I, I, that, that's all I need to know. Uh, you, you, you certainly, I mean, if you examine Roe v. Wade, there's lots of restrictions. I wouldn't, you know, I would enthusiastically support, uh, you know, some kind of federal legislation that provided women with a substantial amount of protection, maybe less protection that's currently there in the, in the third trimester. I don't know. Uh, but it is a, it is a, uh, it really is a step backward. If I had a, I had a daughter right now who was going to a school in a state that, um, was making abortion illegal, I'm not sure I'd let her go. I'm not sure I'd have any control over her. She'd probably be independent as I am and she'd come in and go buzz off. But <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a significant step backwards. But it's also connected to something that I think Democrats have missed, which is this, this court, I mean, the Federal Society have, um, have used Trump uh, to get what they want, which is an activist court. It uses the 14th Amendment to protect the freedom and liberty of corporations. That's not an exaggeration. 
Well, maybe the, you know, it's hard to do this, you know, separating Roe from the other things they're going to do. Uh, they're going to make it very difficult for Congress to pass legislation that restricts what corporations are doing. They're going to use the due process portion of the 14th Amendment uh, to say corporations are human beings. We already saw it with Citizens United. And I think post-election, that's going to be the big story. I bet there's a, you know, I don't know, 200, 250 million dollars of, of so-called independent spending that will have occurred from Labor Day through the 8th of November. Uh, thanks to Citizens United saying corporations are, are individuals and you can't restrict their, their, their freedom of speech. That's all of the piece. So in, in, in some ways, the, the larger problem, not in some ways, in a big way, the larger problem with this court, and I love the court. I love, love going down and watching it and, and listening to their arguments. But they're, they're, they're going to strengthen the freedom and liberty of corporations um, um, against individuals whether they're women or black or labor or whoever they are, you're going to have a lot less power as a consequence of this court. Well, it's an amazing thing to watch, isn't it, from a, uh, a party that's constantly speaking out against activist judges. You know, the court is supposed to be... Uh, Bingo. No, no. Well, and by the way, this is another controversial thing I suppose to say. But our, part of the problem that we Democrats have is we fell in love with the Warren Court. And they were very activist, overturning state legislation, yeah. overturning city council. We loved activism <laughs> when it was in our favor. Uh, we don't necessarily like it when it's not. And my own view is, um, you know, the you know, very famous and important uh, jur- uh, jurist, uh, Felix Frankfurt, who was very liberal before FDR appointed the court, but he, he, lots of liberals thought he sold out because he believed passionately in judicial restraint, as do I. Uh, you may not like what the city council has done or the county board has done or the state legislature or the Congress itself, unless it's a clear violation of civil rights, setting up 1964 civil rights, 1965 voting rights, even 1968 uh, fair housing. Unless it's a clear violation of our Constitution, uh, I don't think we want to strike at it. We don't want a, a court who has not been elected uh, making legislative decisions. And we're going to see that. In some ways, we got ourselves to blame. We, we, you know, we, we, we like what the Warren Court was doing. And now all of a sudden, we don't like what the Roberts Court was doing when uh, they're responding to their, you know, the groups that support them with, with judicial activism. Well, are you surprised? I'm surprised. Are you surprised by the Republicans, especially Republicans in the Senate, who have come up and supported things like uh, the the election deniers and are standing behind uh, people like uh, the Heisman Trophy winner from Georgia uh, and Marjorie Taylor Greene? does that surprise you? I know the second thing I learned at the DNC was that Democrats fall in love and Republicans fall in line. Uh, does it surprise you that all these people are lining up behind these these really incredible candidates? Look, the one nice thing about Trump, the one positive thing that's come out of the Trump election for me is that none of my family ever asked for my political opinion. 
because before in 2016, <laughs> I said there's no way that people can vote for this man. There's no way this man can get elected. I said I've been in politics yeah. 40 years. Take my, you know, take my advice. There's no way this guy's going to get elected. Now they don't ask me anymore. But does it surprise you how many of these people in Congress that knew, you know, you were there, you know that they knew that the election wasn't rigged, uh, uh, but they stood up there and 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 and, and told that lie uh, to support their party. Well, I, you know, I'm not surprised, and uh, you know, I disagree with it. And you've mentioned a couple people that I uh, have strong disagreements with, but it, 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 I, you don't have to look back very far to find where things were worse. Uh, I mean, we had some real scoundrels in the Congress in the yeah, 1930s. We did. We did. Um, so I, I don't have to go back very far to find it. And the problem uh, is that I'm sitting here tempted uh, to, you know, to trash Herschel Walker and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And that's counterproductive in my view. Um, you know, I'm, I'm having served in the Senate and having served as governor and been involved in politics in a number of ways. I feel duty bound to say to people, you're going to find scoundrels in the Congress. Uh, but most people in that Congress, Republican and Democrat, are not scoundrels. And they're doing the best they can, can under very difficult circumstances to try to figure out what the right answer is. So I don't, I, I just, I, I have to resist the temptation to uh, be negative because I, I'm, I'm not surprised. It has been worse. And it's up to us to encourage people to become candidates, encourage people to try to figure out how to make things better uh, and not take the, what I consider to be self-destructive bait. Well, and you're right. You know, we have a very short political memory, don't we? Uh, people forget about people like Eugene McCarthy and uh, some of the segregated. I grew up in North New Jersey, which well, was a segregated city. And, and I think every mayor we elected, five mayors in a row, all went to jail. So, uh, yeah. They've well, been, I mean, I, uh, I, I, if, you're, if your listeners are looking for a good read to make the point that you and I are both making right now, I forget the name of it. Uh, I'll, I'll think of it in, in 30 minutes when I'm going to bed. But uh, yeah. it, it, it's, a, it's a book about the confirmation of Thurgood Marshall in uh, 1967, I believe, is when it may have, 67 or 68. And my, it was, it, the, the opposition uh, to Thurgood Marshall and the language that's being used, you know, by people that I respect, um, uh, you know, and what they were doing is responding, in my, I think, likely opinion, is that they had a large fraction of white voters who held very racist views of the Thurgood Marshall, um, and they didn't want him on the Supreme Court. Had nothing to do with anything that he had done, had nothing to do with his intelligence, and it had to do with one thing, basically. So they're sitting there saying, maybe they believed it. I, I, I think it's unlikely that they did, uh, but they talked themselves into, you know, into political positions that, upon reflection, certainly looking back on it, you can't make the case that they were right. So I, I said it once before, public opinion, uninformed public opinion, um, is a powerful force. And I don't, you know, and so this one, to my, to my mind, 
begins with a former president saying, I'm not going to concede the election. Worse, I'm going to say it was rigged. Worse, I'm going to say it was, you know, I'm, I'm encouraged people to believe QAnon stories about, you know, sex rings in a pizza parlor in Washington. I mean, I mean I'll just buy into all of it. Uh, and it, 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 it destroys public confidence in democracy. Yeah, it, it, it's amazing, and and the, the 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 pizza gate thing that you just mentioned. My first assistant was a part-time bartender there. It's where I had my both my victory parties, election night victory parties. We were all amazed by that. We were amazed, not only amazed by the lie, but amazed by uh, how long the lie persisted. And it still persists. Right. We still see it. Right. We still see it out there, and and, and, and it's it's just absolutely crazy. Uh, let me ask you one last question. We're running out of time here. First of all, is there anything you want to say that I haven't asked you? I'd like to know what you're doing today. Uh, what are you doing today? Well, today? I, right at this moment, uh, I am in London, England. My a 21-year-old who's a junior in college, and he's taken a uh, study abroad program. So uh, it is not. It is uh, 11:50 here. But I know. My God work bless life you back doing this. My work. My work life uh, is. I'm a managing director at a at a little merchant bank in uh, New York City called Allen Company. Now, it's been a great experience for me. Wonder it's a family private business and given me an opportunity to work with. You know, really smart, talented, uh, um, you know, uh, excited young people that have great ideas. And, you know, so I get to do that. Now you do a couple of not-for-profits. The biggest one is I'm still working on the uh, trying to make peace with Vietnam. We're building a, a, their educational capacity through the Fulbright University uh, Vietnam program in Ho Chi Minh City. So those two things and a couple of others besides what I'm doing right now. Well, that's uh, that's really important work. Uh, I'm certainly of that generation, and remember how the war tore our country apart, and and some of the some of the unfortunate externalities of of the war that uh, we send it as a country to hold it against the soldiers rather than the rather than the government, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I don't know how that happened. Even as a guy that protested on the mall more than once against the war, because I was 18 at the time and, and didn't believe in it. Uh, I never once, never once lost my respect for all my friends that stood up to the country and went over there and fought. So I think that that's really important. Have you seen the movie, the best beer run? No, I haven't. Oh, I'm, I'm uh, Chuck Hagel and I are hosting. Uh, a, we're calling it the world premiere, but it's not really the world premiere. It's it's called the greatest beer run ever. Uh, uh, Billy Murray's in, and it's really a terrific cast. But the whole story is a true story. Because some guys in Boston in 1972 watching protesters, and they said, "Gee, our, our buddies in Vietnam may think that this is a, you know that we don't care for them, so they did a beer run." To, I don't know, four or five guys that were uh, in country and, uh, during the war and, and took them a beer. <laughs> took them a beer. Wow. <laughs> so. Well, I'll have to watch that. 
And I want to tell you that move to the very top of my reading list is when I was a young man, the book you wrote, oh. the memoir. I really want to read that. Uh, you know, uh, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of great insights in there. And again, when you're, when you're having, I, I strongly recommend reading that book in those moments when you're not able to get to sleep. Oh, come on. I can't, I can't <laughs> believe that. You're, you're a fascinating conversationalist, and I'm sure you're a great writer. And look, we're running out of time, so we're about to leave. And, and let me thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. And, you're and welcome, say to, to, to my uh, listeners that, you know, every week we choose a song at the end of the show to play, play us out, and we dedicate it to our guests. And today was one of the easiest choices uh, I ever had to make. So uh, we'll see you next week, folks. Here's Mariah okay. Carey with Hero. Thank you so much for being on the show, Bob Carey, because you certainly are one of my heroes. Thanks, Senator.